Thank you, and please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. And we're most probably going to finish our Noah's Ark series this morning, looking at Genesis chapter 9. And we're going to work hard this morning. Please please have your Bibles open at Genesis 9, but we're going to be looking at, at other parts as well. Great to see you all here, and any visitors here this morning, special welcome to you. Please, please stay behind afterwards. Join us for morning tea. Love to have the opportunity to get to know you better. Great to have Heinz and Jane back as well. Well, I can see Jane. I'm not sure if I can see Heinz. He's not feeling well. Okay. Genesis chapter 9. Well, I don't know about you, but one of the things I, I really worried about when I was a kid were school projects, as they used to call them. And... They used to make me very anxious when you had a project, even in primary school. And you looked at the the due date with a fair amount of anxiety. And very often the due date was coming up and you knew you just weren't going to be ready. And then, hallelujah, the teacher stands in front of the classroom and says, I've decided to give you all an extra week for your project. And do you remember that feeling? What a, what a feeling. Oh, it's like the, the sun has burst forth and the birds are singing and you've got another week to do your project. And so what do you do? <laughs> so what do you do? Well, after school, you go and take your bike and ride over to your friend's house as normal. And then instead of, uh, and then you think, well, it's a whole week. And then the next day, uh, instead of reading about your project, you're reading your favourite book. And then you get on your bike and see your friend the, the, the following day. And then a week has gone by like that. And you're filled with terror and dread because it's still not ready, even though the teacher has given you that, that week of grace. Anyone else? Uh, okay. Just you and me, David. Okay. All right. I, I always thought, by the way, I, that I might prepare sermons before I became a pastor. I thought that that might be the case with preaching, but it never has been. All. I'm pleased to tell you that I've always been uh, prepared early, but uh, not when I was at school. And what about when the, when the doctor says to you, look, uh, I've, I've checked your weight, I've checked your blood pressure, and you're really on track for for getting diabetes. If you just keep going the way you are, you're going to have diabetes before too long. But there's there's something you can do about that. It doesn't have to happen. If you start to exercise, if you start to watch your diet, then you probably won't get diabetes. And so what do you do? What do you do with that that good news? Well, you go and eat another cream bun, don't you, in celebration (laughs) of the fact that you you might not get, get diabetes. And, and, and so we squander that, that, that grace period, that time that the, the, the doctor says that we may have. Well, what we're going to see this morning, brothers and sisters, is that we are right now in a time of grace. That God right now has, has put us in this, this grace period before his son, Jesus Christ, returns in judgment. Or before he calls you to stand before him on the day of your death. You are right now in a grace period. The question is, are you going to squander it 
and misuse it and waste it and indulge yourself in that time? Or are you going to take hold of it and make use of it and be blessed by it? And we see from Genesis chapter 9 that we are in this time of grace. And the question is, how are you going to use this time? Genesis 9, we see here that God established a covenant with humanity. A covenant is a solemn and binding promise, a promise bound in blood. And God established a covenant with Noah. Now, if God established this covenant with Noah, with whom else did God establish this covenant with? If it's established with Noah, it's established with all of us, all Noah's descendants. Because that's the way the Old Testament looks at humanity. The Old Testament sees very clearly that all humanity is there in Noah. We're all descendants of Noah. We were all latent in Noah. And so this covenant that God makes with Noah, he has made with me and with you. And so don't read this impersonally. Don't read about this covenant as though, oh, this is what God did for Noah. No, it's what God has done for you. It's a covenant made with you and with me. And what did God covenant to do? What did God bind himself to do for all humanity and for you and for me? Look there at verse 11. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And so Noah and his family have just come off of the ark and God has saved them with his ark. And now God makes a covenant with Noah and with all of his descendants that never again will he flood and destroy the earth. The question is, did God make this covenant not to destroy the earth because God could see that humanity coming out of the ark had changed. That there was, God could see that Noah and his family were different to the humanity that he saw before he flooded the earth. Remember that God looked upon the earth and he saw that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time. That was God's analysis of humanity before the flood. Has God now seen, ah, there's, there's now a difference in humanity, and so now I promise that I will never flood the earth again. Well, what's one of the first things that Noah did, having come off the ark? He plants a vineyard. He makes wine. He drinks too much wine. He gets drunk. And then he takes off all his clothes. And he's naked. And he disgraces himself. And this is Moses, the author of Genesis, telling us very clearly that really nothing has changed in the human heart and in the human condition. Even Noah, whom God dealt with personally and directly, Noah, who built the ark himself, still had that sin in his heart. And so what we see in Genesis 9 is that this covenant that God made to bless humanity 
never again to destroy humanity by flood was a covenant of grace. It was God determining to be gracious with humanity. It's God saying, I can see that nothing has changed about the human heart. The flood has not turned human beings into godly and holy people. They're just the same. But I am going to be patient with humanity. The covenant could only have been made on the basis of patience and grace. It was God saying, yes, I will one day have to bring final judgment upon the sin of humanity. But I will be patient. I will desist. I will give humanity time for repentance. That's what this covenant is about. A time of patience, a time of repentance. And brothers and sisters, isn't this the most extraordinary thing about the coming of Jesus Christ? Because here's Jesus, he's the Son of God, and he's on earth. And what kind of power does Jesus have? What kind of power does he have? It's stupendous. It's the power of God. He has the power to drive out demons. He has the power to heal the sick. He has the power over the wind and the waves. Don't think for a moment that Jesus could not have come and have unleashed all of that power in judgment. He could have used all of that power to judge the earth, to judge humankind for the sin that he knew that we had in our hearts. And yet, he used that power in love and grace. He used that power to help people, to heal the sick, to restore the lepers, to drive out demons, to feed the hungry, to raise the dead. All the power that he could have used to destroy humanity in a moment, he used to love and to bless us. Why did he do that? Because the covenant with Noah. Because God had made a covenant that he would be patient, that he would hold off judgment. And that's why Jesus, when Jesus came, John tells us that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He could have come to condemn us but to save the world through him. God was not obliged to save anyone. But he did because of his covenant with Noah, which was a covenant with humanity, a covenant of grace and patience. How often do we hear people say, look at what's happening in the world today. We see war, famine, disease, death. These are awful things. These are dreadful things. And we lead to the conclusion. We hear people say, how cruel God must be to allow these things to happen. But don't you think that we're looking at things from completely the wrong direction? If we understand the human heart and the human condition, 
we can only say how patient God is. How patient he is because he could come and destroy this earth in a moment. He did it once, the flood, and he could do it again. But he is being patient. And these things that happen across the earth today, they're dreadful things, they're awful things. They're painful, distressing and upsetting. Let us not forget that God is well within his rights to come and, and destroy the earth entirely. And God can even use these awful things to wake up sinful humanity and to say, you need me, you need my grace, you need my forgiveness. And God is patient with this earth because of this covenant that he made with our forefather Noah. God made this covenant, and the next thing we see is that God gave a sign. He gave a sign. Now we've got two young couples who are getting married soon, and they're going to be taking their, their marriage vows, they're making a marriage covenant with one another. And what's, what's the most awkward moment in every wedding ceremony? What's the What's the bit where everyone gets a little bit apprehensive and there's a bit of laughter and uh, a bit of relief when it all works out? What's that moment? It's the moment of, do we have rings to seal these vows? And then the, the best man is always fumbling, no, it's not there, no, no. And, ah, oh, yes, relief, we found the rings. And the rings are, are signs of the marriage vows, the covenant that is made on that day. And in the Bible, we see that every covenant that God makes is accompanied with a sign, a physical reminder of that covenant. And what is the sign that God gave of the covenant that he made with Noah? Look there at verse 12. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you and every living creature with you covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. The rainbow is the sign of the Noahic covenant, the, the covenant that God made with Noah. Now here's the really interesting thing about the rainbow. The Hebrew word for rainbow is keshet. The Hebrew word for a bow, as in a bow, an arrow bow, which you use to kill things, is keshet. It's exactly the same word that describes the rainbow and the war bow. And in Habakkuk chapter 3, we read a description of God bringing judgment upon Israel unleashing his arrows on Israel with his war bow, with his keshet. And here in Genesis chapter 9, God gives a sign of his covenant of grace and patience with Noah. And it is the bow, the keshet, which he sets in the clouds. Do you see the, do you see the symbolism of this? The rainbow 
It's as though God has put down his war boat. It's as though God has said, I'm going to desist in judgment and unleashing judgment upon the earth. I'm putting the bow down. And that is the rainbow. Now it's much more beautiful, isn't it, than the, the war bow. It's a, it's a beautiful sign. Look there at verse 14. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between you, me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. And there is tremendous security in this beautiful sign, covenant sign that God put among the clouds. Tremendous security in this beautiful rainbow. And this is the reason why there's great security in it. Because the rainbow is not our reminder to God of promises that we have made of our faithfulness. The rainbow isn't that. The rainbow isn't something that humanity put in the sky to remind God of, of, of promises that we have made to be godly and holy and righteous people. If that was the case, it would be a meaningless sign. It would be something that God could dismiss instantly because of the sinfulness of the human heart. The rainbow isn't our sign to God it's God's sign to himself of his own promise. And that's what I love about it. It is God's sign to himself of the promise that he himself has made to be patient and gracious with humanity. God can't dismiss that sign because he has made that sign and it's a sign of a covenant that he himself has made with us. If God could no more ignore that sign, then it, it, let me put it another way. If God ignored that sign, he would, he would cease to be God. He would not be God if he ignored the, own, the sign that he himself had given of his own covenant. Now, having grown up in Perth, we used to get those really heavy roads, which you just don't it was such a surprise to move to Hobart and to discover that it's the second driest capital city of Australia. I, I, we, we were hoping, I was hoping for you know, much more rain and the cold and the snow and all that kind of thing, but it's a, it's a very dry city. Perth, you get these torrential rains from time to time. And I can tell you that as a, as a child, having seen pictures of Noah's Ark in my children's Bible, and, and seeing pictures of the flood and, and, and people drowning. And then a torrential rain comes down. And, you know, when you're a child, it just never seems to stop. It just seems to be coming, pouring, pouring, pouring. And you can't help but think, is God doing it again? Is he doing it again? It, it, 
is this actually going to stop? Or is this going to be another Noah's Ark event? And sure enough, the rains would cease. And the clouds would part. And the sun would shine through the mist of the vapour. And you'd see the beautiful rainbow. And you'd be reminded of God's promise. That never again would he flood the earth. A promise that he would be patient and gracious with humanity. Now the rainbow is not just a sign, by the way, of God's grace. Turn with me, please, to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel 1, verse 26. And this, of course, is Ezekiel's vision of the throne room of God. And it's wonderful. I love to read this. Ezekiel 1, verse 26. Ezekiel said, I saw what looked like a throne of sapphire, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him. Like the radiance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down. What, as Ezekiel looks into the throne room of God, what is one of the the, the signs of God's glory and God's power and God's holiness, it's the rainbow. It's there in heaven. And we see it in Revelation chapter 4. Let me read it to you. The Apostle John, also looking into the throne room of God, Revelation 4 verse 2. I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne and from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Brothers and sisters, this means that when we see the rainbow, let's be reminded that it's a sign of God's grace and patience and love with humanity. Love for humanity. Let's leave that there. But it's also a sign of what? It's a sign of God's holiness. It's a, it's a sign that reminds us of the throne room of God and the power and justice and majesty and holiness of God. And this means that when we see the rainbow, we remember that God is holy and that we deserve the flood and that God has pledged himself to be patient. He's pledged himself to be patient. I hope, I really hope, that this is speaking to some of you this morning. Because I know that in front of me are people sitting here right now who think, how could God love me? 
if, if people in this room knew what I, what I do when I'm not at church, if people in this room could see my thoughts, then everyone would have to ask, how could God love me? How could God favour me? I've sinned again. I've done that awful thing that I keep doing, that I promise not to do, and I, I keep doing it. How could God love me? If I keep going back to that, that sin, I, I, I'm backsliding, I'm falling away. How could God love me when I'm, when I'm falling away from him? I'm not interested in him. I don't want to know him. How could God love me when I keep walking away from him again and again? Can you see in Genesis 9 that God is a patient God? Tremendously patient. And he will receive you back again and again and again. His mercy is endless. His love is boundless. As long as you, as you come back to him in confession and repentance, he will not push you away. He will not push you away. He is a patient Lord, a gracious and merciful. There's not a single person here who cannot receive the love and grace and mercy of God. It is vast. It's abundant. It's huge. Far bigger than your sins. Far bigger than your backsliding. Far bigger than your rejection of God is his love and grace. To despair is to give in to the lies of the devil. Because God's word promises that he is faithful, merciful, gracious, and he, he will never turn you back. Never. And he promises that as long as you confess your sin, repent of your sin, he will forgive you your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so I want to finish this morning with an exhortation. We have seen, I hope, from Genesis chapter 9, that God is a tremendously patient God. And that he has made a covenant. He made a covenant with Noah, and so it was a covenant with, with all of us. To be patient and gracious and merciful. And to give us time. And I want to and, and the rainbow is a, a continual reminder of that, a beautiful reminder of that. And I want to finish. And this exhortation is not from the guy standing up the front, but it's from God himself. And he says, do not despise this time of grace. Do not squander this, this, this time of grace like a silly child at school. The teacher gives him the week of grace. He squanders it. Don't, don't be like that. Or the foolish man who won't listen to his doctor. Don't be like that. Don't squander the grace of God. Turn with me now. <laughs> I'm doing really well up here, aren't I? Okay. Debris is scattered everywhere. Thanks, Paul.
Turn with me to 2 Peter, chapter 3. Two Peter three, verse three. <clears throat> Where Peter says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, one of the last days, we're in the last days, yep. In the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, following their own evil desires. And they be saying, where is this coming, he promised. Scoffing at Jesus' promise to return in judgment. Where is this coming, he promised. And how many times have we heard this? I've lost count of how many times I've heard this. Well, it's been 2,000 years. <laughs> he said he was coming back. It's been 2,000 years. He was obviously lying or he deceived himself. One of the two. But ever since our ancestors died, says Peter, uh, says, says these scoffers, everything goes on as it, as it has since the beginning of creation. Everything goes on day after day, just as normal. Where is this coming that Jesus promised? But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. These scoffers forget that God has already judged the earth once by flood. And by that same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. In other words, 2,000 years might seem a long time to you and me. It's nothing to the Lord, nothing to him at all. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is Patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so people mock Jesus and they say he said he'd return. He hasn't returned. If this is you, then God is saying he is being patient be patient with you as he promised. And you mock him for his patience. You mock the very hand that holds you out of hell. Some of you might not be as overtly mocking as the kind of people that Peter describes here. But you're putting off repenting, Right? There will be time. There will be time. I'm young. If you're a young man, then not only is death a long way away, but death is, is just a myth, right? It's never going to happen. 
And, I, and I've got time. I've got time to repent. Hell is full of people who thought that they would repent tomorrow. It's full of people who had the intention of repenting tomorrow. Now is the time of patience and grace. Now is the time to repent. And do you, do you see the heart of God here? He doesn't want you to be destroyed. He doesn't want you to face eternal judgment. He doesn't want to be separated from you for all eternity. He doesn't want to see you in that, the lake of fire. He doesn't want to see you like that rich man in the parable of Lazarus, the rich man who's begged for just a, a drop of water to cool his burning tongue. God doesn't want that for, for anyone here. And so you're in this time of patience and grace. He could return at any moment, or he could call you to himself at any moment. That time of patience will come to an end. And our Heavenly Father is urging you, be ready. Be ready for that. Don't intend to repent tomorrow. Now is the time for that. And some of you are, uh, are here this morning and you think, well, none of this is speaking to me really because I have repented. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And, and I'm, glad, I'm glad other people, and you're probably thinking, I'm, of people here, I'm glad so-and-so's hearing this, this call to repentance. But uh, I did that years ago. No, no, no. This is not just about Jesus giving unbelievers time to repent. It is just as much about Jesus giving believers time to grow in holiness and time to put sin to death in their lives. Because listen to how Peter goes on verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to... Are you looking forward to this? I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to Jesus coming and purging this earth and me and, and destroying all that's sinful and ungodly and unholy. I'm looking forward to that. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Are you doing that? 
Are you doing that in this time of, of patience and grace? Are you making every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him? How will we use this time of patience, that this, this wonderful covenant that God made with Noah, this, this covenant to be patient with us, how will we use this time of patience and grace? Will we squander it? Will we say, well, Jesus isn't going to come for some time, probably never in my lifetime, and I've got a lot of life left in me, so I'll indulge in my greed and my unforgiveness and my lusts and my complaining and my self-serving. Well, praise God that Jesus is going to destroy all of those things. I'm glad he's, he's going to destroy them. I want him to destroy them. I want him to destroy them now. When Christ returns, all sin will be laid bare and burned up. So how will you be found, brothers and sisters? This is a question for every single person in this room. How will you be found when the Son of God returns? Or when he calls you home? Will you be found in your greed? Or in his generosity? Will you be found in unforgiveness and bitterness? Or in his grace, extending grace to others as he has extended grace to you. When he returns, will he find you complaining? Or will he find you rejoicing for all God's goodness and kindness to you? When he returns, will he find you selfish? Or with his servant heart? We're in this time of patience and grace. But he will come. We rejoice in that. Let's also be ready for that. Let's be ready for that. Let's make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Amen. <coughs> Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, <coughs> we pray that you forgive us for uh, squandering, squandering your patience and forgive us for, for using it as a, an excuse to indulge in our sin and we thank you and praise you that, that Jesus is going to come he's going to burn up sin he's going to destroy it won't be part of the new heaven and the new earth we, we so look forward to that and Father I pray that we might be ready for it. I pray that we might begin to live these heavenly lives right now. I pray that, that every day of patience and grace will be a day of growing in godliness, holiness and Christ-likeness. And I pray, Father, uh, for young believers here today I pray that you're pressing this on their hearts, that it's, it's lying heavy on them, heavy on their hearts, heavy on their spirits. And I pray, Lord, that they will not find relief 
until they've come before you confession, repentance. Until they receive your forgiveness and your love and your grace. And, and Father, you're calling them. In your love, you're calling them. And I pray that they will hear you this morning and, and obey that call and find life. Amen.